Uh, tonight we're looking at the story that made David famous. It's the original underdog story by which all underdog stories will be measured by. But what can we actually learn from this story? Well, keep your Bibles open to 1 Samuel 16 and 17, page 440 if you've accidentally closed uh, your Bibles. And please remember, there'll be time for questions after the talk. Well, before we get into God's Word, as always, we please join me as I pray. Let's pray for God's help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the mighty God, the one who saves. Heavenly Father, please help me now to speak your word clearly tonight. And we pray that you help us see things the way you see things. And to let that shape and change how we live our lives now. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, a quick quiz to kick things off. Firstly, can I ask you, what do you see? Now, some of you will see the word optical, and some of you would see the word illusion. How about this one? Now, this is the dress that divided the world a few, a few years ago. Now, some of you will see a white dress, or others will see a blue dress. Now, I'm just curious... Hands up if you see a white dress. There's one, two, okay, there's a couple there. Hands up if you see a blue dress. That's really interesting. I see a white dress. Peter M, he's not here, he sees a white dress. But most of you see a blue dress. You know, it's strange, isn't it? We see things differently. And if you want to know the phenomenon behind the dress, you can ask me during question time or over dinner tonight. You know, there's usually at least two different ways of seeing things. And the thing for us is, as Christians, we can see things differently from how God sees things. Uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, Christians are described as more than conquerors. But most of the time, we actually don't see our lives like that. I know sometimes in my own life, I don't feel like more than a conqueror. I feel less than a coper because life is hard. Have you ever felt like that before? And the reason why we don't feel like conquerors sometimes is because as Christians, well, we battle against things like temptation, opposition, suppression. And so easy in those times... To not see things as God sees things. But what we'll see tonight is we need to change our perspective. To not just see things with our eyes, but to see things the way God sees things. And it's when we have God's perspective that we can live our lives as conquerors. Uh, tonight we're going to see three things. Firstly, in chapter 16, we're going to see an un unlikely anointing. Then chapter 17, we'll see an unlikely victory. And then thirdly, we'll see the lesson for us. But quick, quickly, let me give you a quick recap of the details of the story so far in 1 Samuel. So uh, back in chapter 8, the people of Israel wanted a king like the other nations. 
And in the end, they get a guy called Saul to be their king. And 1 Samuel 9 describes Saul as a head above everyone else. Now, last week we saw that Saul didn't trust God. And he ended up disobeying him. And because of that, God rejects Saul as king. And through the prophet Samuel, God says this in chapter 15, verse 28. Uh, Can you please check uh, check that out with me? Chapter 15, verse 28 says this, verse 28, Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you tonight and has given it to one of your neighbours, to one better than you. Well, that brings us to chapter 16. And in verse 1, God tells Samuel to visit a man named Jesse, who lives in Bethlehem, to anoint the next king. And notice the words at the end of verse 1. It says, God saying, I have chosen one of his sons to be king. You see, a different kind of king will be anointed this time because this time it's the king that God has chosen for himself, not the people's choice. Jesse's first son does his little turn on the catwalk. Uh, Did you notice Samuel's response in verse 6? Verse 6 says this. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Oh, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Now, from Samuel's point of view, this tall, good-looking young man seems to be the kind of guy that you would choose to be king. But the last time Samuel saw a tall, good-looking guy, it didn't end well. Because that last guy was Saul. Now, notice how God responds to Samuel's thinking. Verse 7. Please read that with me. Verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel... Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now this verse has traditionally been understood to mean that because God can see into our hearts, well that's why David was chosen, because David had a heart for God. But verse 7 isn't actually saying that. I translated more literally, uh, the last sentence of verse 7 actually goes like this. And I've actually put it on your outline as well. Let me read the actual translated uh, from the original. It says this. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man sees according to the eyes. But the Lord sees according to the heart. So... This verse isn't actually talking about God seeing our hearts. This verse is actually saying about how God uses his heart to see things. In other words, God sees a situation through the lens of his 
intentions, through the lens of His plan. Do you see the difference? Now, I reckon this understanding of verse 7 is the key to understanding the whole of 1 and 2 Samuel. Actually, I reckon it's the key to understanding all of life. Because what verse 7 is saying is this. God does things because of His sovereign purposes, not because of some quality in some type of guy. So because we're not just to use our eyes, but instead we're to be guided by what God wants, well, we're not to always bet on the big guy. But what happens next? Now after seven of Jesse's sons uh, do the catwalk, Samuel asks Jesse, Hey, are all your sons here? And I can imagine Jesse about to say, yes, they're all here. But then he remembers the littlest one, the kid brother that they keep leaving at the shops. Oh, yes, they're still the youngest, Jesse says, but he's tending the sheep. Well, when David comes in, we see someone who doesn't look like king material. But as often is the case, the unlikely one from a human point of view turns out to be the one God chooses. So David is anointed as king. And it's not because he's good, but it was because of God's will. It's because it was what God wanted. Well, let's jump to chapter 17. And as Samuel, and we're going to see that Samuel isn't the only one who just sees things with his eyes. Now, I didn't get Jane to read chapter 17 because I actually want us to walk through the narrative slowly. Because we all know the narrative so well. Chapter, four, chapter 17 starts off. The Philistines are back again. And this time they brought in the heavy artillery. Uh, please read verses 4 to 6 with me. It says this. Verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. Six cubits in a span, that's nine foot nine. That's almost three meters. That's as tall as anywhere the, the top of the ark is. So what we're seeing here is a Philistine on steroids. Now, even though God had said to Samuel back in chapter 16, do not consider his appearance or height. This is height and appearance, which is not easy to ignore. And given that Goliath is armed to the teeth with the latest technology of the time, it seems like Goliath is the ultimate warrior. Well, Goliath throws down the gauntlet in verse 8, demanding Israel to choose a champion so that they can fight. Now the thing is, the Israelites have already chosen a man for themselves. His name was Saul. 
And he's the closest thing that Israel had to a Goliath. Now, he was the tallest guy they had. But what did Saul do? Uh, please check out verse 11 with me. Verse 11 says this. On hearing the Philistine words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So if the Israelites were seeing Goliath as man sees things and, and they were terrified, what would Goliath look like to someone who sees as God sees? Well, check out David's response when he first sees Goliath. Please, let's, please jump to verse 26 with me. Verse 26 says this. Now David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now David sounds nothing like Saul or any other Israelite down in that valley. See, David saw the situation so differently. See, David, he had contempt for this Philistine, not fear. What he saw, he saw a pagan worshipper of dead gods mocking the living and true God. You see, David sees Goliath as God sees Goliath. Well, King Saul summons David, and in verse 32, David says confidently to Saul, I will go and fight him. Now that must have sounded ludicrous to Saul. He's a, a skinny little kid, face full of acne, voice hasn't broken yet, and if Saul was the biggest and best that Israel had, and he wouldn't even consider going against Goliath, then why should David? Well, David tells Saul that he rescued his sheep from a lion and a bear. And in verses 36 and 37, David tells Saul why he's so confident. Please read verse 36 with me. It says this, Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. You see, it's not because of David's abilities or skills that he's going to win. And it's because of God. So because David is seeing things the way God is seeing things, David's telling Saul, hey, don't bet on the big guy. Well, check out Goliath's reaction when he sees David. Verse 42, have a look at verse 42 with me. Verse 42 says, he being Goliath, he looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Hey, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? 
and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. You see, Goliath is seeing as man sees. Uh, Through Goliath's eyes, David appears weak, inexperienced, vulnerable. And that makes Goliath angry because he's thinking that the Israelites aren't taking him seriously. Well, check out what David says back to Goliath. Please read verse 45 with me. Verse 45 says, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Verse verse 46, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Now, David isn't just a kid who just has a great faith in God. Because in the end, it's not about the kid. It's about the God behind the kid. You see, this world sees the battle between David and Goliath. Goliath. But if you see it from God's perspective, it's actually a battle between God and Goliath. And when you see the situation like that, well then, Goliath doesn't stand a chance. Well, we all know what happens next. Little David runs at him, swings his sling, and the rest is history. The stone sinks into Goliath's forehead. Goliath goes down for the count. And David leads the Israelites into victory. It's a fantastic narrative, isn't it? It's one of my all-time favorite stories. But what can we learn from this story? Now, this story, it isn't meant to be the motivational story about giving it your best shot or making sure that you've got faith like David to take on the Goliaths in your life because that's not treating the narrative the way it's intended because at the end of the day we're not David because David is God's chosen one God's Messiah God's Saviour so you see this story actually points to God David's greatest descendant, the one who was also born in Bethlehem, the one who was announced by the angels as God's Messiah. And just like how David, who looked weak and foolish to the world, but ended up defeating the enemy of God's people, Jesus is the one who also looked weak and foolish when he was executed on the cross. But it's through that our greatest enemy of sin and death was defeated. And so, just like how David acted on behalf of the Israelites to save them, Jesus acts on our behalf, where he took the punishment for our sin and won the victory over sin and death for us.
So it's actually because of Jesus. We don't have to fear death. But instead we can now share in the spoils of Jesus' victory of having a right relationship with God, of enjoying the forgiveness of sins, and having eternal life. And if you're here, and you're someone who hasn't shared in that victory yet, if you're someone who's scared of death, then please know you don't have to live life that way. Because of what Jesus did, all you have to do is to trust Him and to submit to Him as your King and Saviour. So if you haven't done that yet, please consider doing that tonight. Or talk to me or Carmen after church about it. So, if anything, if we're to identify with someone in this story, we're to identify not with David, but rather the people of Israel, the guys on the sideline, the guys that David saved. And we see in verse 52, once the enemy was defeated, the fear of the Israelites gave way to celebration and action as they started living in light of the victory that was won for them. And in the same way, where to celebrate and where to live in the victory that has been won for us. And part of living in that victory is to see things from God's perspective. That we're on the winning side. That we're now more than conquerors because of Jesus. But you know, too often, we actually don't have God's perspective on things. Like Samuel and Saul and the Israelites, we can be caught by just seeing with our eyes, focusing on the, the wrong indicators, instead of seeing things the way God sees things. And so, we're to see everything in our lives from God's perspective. A perspective that's shaped by who God is. A perspective that's shaped by His plan and purposes. And so if tomorrow becomes a day of struggle or hardship or disappointment, because of Jesus, no matter what happens tomorrow or any days that come after that, you can be totally sure that none of those things can separate you from the love of God that's in Jesus. Despite what you go through, you'll always be His. And you can be assured that God's got everything in His control. And when it comes to interacting with the world that's around us, well, there'll be times when you'll get mocked, by following this Jesus, who on the outside seems foolish and weak. Uh, it could be the guys at the office. It could be the guys that you hang out at uni or at school. It could be your family and friends. But when they mock you, please remember how God sees things. That Jesus is the one who's actually victorious. And that he's the one 
who everyone will need to bow down to one day. So because of that, don't lose heart. Don't give up trusting in Jesus. But not only are we to have a perspective, God's perspective of the world around us, but we're to have God's perspective on how we see ourselves. Now it's so easy for us to be hung up on the things that people can see, whether it's our appearance or our skills or our accomplishments. And it's so easy to think that these things are going to make us feel good about ourselves. But these things are only skin deep. They're not meant to carry the weight of your self-value because they won't be able to hold up your self-esteem forever. And sooner or later, they eventually let you down, leaving you crushed and disappointed. But seeing things from God's perspective means putting your confidence in the one who David put his confidence in, which wasn't himself, but was on God. So seeing yourself from God's perspective is basing your identity on the fact that you're his child, that your validation comes from the truth that God loves you. That you're someone who God gave his all for to make you his. You see, you're valuable because of how God sees you. And he sent Jesus to die on the cross to prove that. So seeing things from God's perspective will change your whole outlook on life. let me ask you tonight how are you seeing life at the moment do you see things the way God sees things let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you that you've sent Jesus to be our champion that through the weakness of dying on the cross our greatest enemies of sin and death has been defeated and that we can have a right relationship with you, that we can be now forgiven of our sin, that we can now have eternal life. Heavenly Father, we confess that there are so many times when we just keep just using our eyes and not seeing things your way. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will change us, that you will help us to live life seeing things from your perspective and to live in the reality of us being conquerors. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.